if you learn how to control it, the entrepreneurial brain becomes the most powerful tool in your arsenal. In this podcast, I will dive deep into the psychology and biology behind it to help you understand yourself and ultimately become your best, most authentic self. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast. Today, I'm here with Kyla Osterhoff. Kyla is a health scientist, professional athlete, entrepreneur, health optimization practitioner, and a global leader in integrative mind-body medicine. She's formally trained across the spectrum of health sciences with a Bachelor of Science in Health, Ecology, Master of Science in Public Health, and currently pursuing her doctoral degree in neuropsychophysiology. Hope I pronounced that somewhat right. She's the host of the BioCurious podcast, owner and CEO of BioCurious, and co-founder and director of research and development for the Power Program for Women. Kyla, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I know that's a mouthful, and you said it perfectly. Great. Then, then let's hop straight into it. What are you pursuing your doctoral degree in it? Yes. So neuropsychophysiology is kind of a fancy term for the mind-body connection, but specifically it's looking at two constructs of human consciousness and human um, behavior and reality, which is the brain and the mind. And so I study both of these entities, you can call them. A lot of people think they're one and the same, but really they are two very different systems that interact to create the reality that each person perceives. So what I like to say is that reality is bio-individual because really it is. There is no one universal reality that everyone experiences. It's completely different for each person. So the reality that you're experiencing right now on this call is totally different than the reality that I'm experiencing on this call. And so it's a really fascinating field of science and neuroscience meets um, psychology. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. Great intersection. If I would be pursuing a degree, I, I think I would wanted to do it in the same area. Mind-body connection, a theme I've been exploring more and more. Just before this conversation, I've been doing some yoga um, because that's really when you don't have like a deep understanding, yoga can be such a simple practice. But if you're getting deeper into the mind-body connection, breath, like it's really so fascinating. Just read an article or watched a video on embodied cognition. So like read the concept of that the whole body processes information. So if you have any thoughts on that realm, I would love to hear it. Oh my gosh, so many thoughts. Um, (laughs) But you were talking about the breath. So breath is one of my favorite areas to research and study. Um, Specifically, I am, um, I do a lot of work with brain mapping. So I like to map people's brains and see how differently people's brains communicate and function. And um, and you can also see a lot of, you know, dysfunction that way as well. Um, but it's really interesting to see kind of how the brain and the nervous system work together with some of these modalities that you're speaking of. Um, you know, there's movement, but breath is really profound and significant because it is the best way to bring you back into the present moment. So when you're looking at it from a mental health standpoint, um, anxiety and depression and some of these other negative emotions that contribute to what they call like mental health 
disorders or dysfunction um, come from the future or the past. And so these are constructs of the mind, right? Not necessarily the brain, the brain processes it, but these are constructs of the mind because the mind is almost always in the future or the past. The mind has a hard time staying in the present moment unless we train it to do so through things like breath work or working with the body. And the reason why the breath is such a significant tool for presence is because the physical body is the only part of the human, of the human experience that remains constantly in the present moment. The human body cannot travel into the future or the past, but the mind is always there. And that's where anxiety and depression and these things come from because it's thinking about a future event, which is causing usually anxiety, or it's thinking about a past event, um, which can cause anxiety and sometimes depression and things like that. So when you focus in on the breath, you have to come into the present moment because that's where the breath exists. And so that's why I really love the breath as a modality. But the breath also, you can use it as a physiological switch or a physiological tool to change your state profoundly. So you can either activate using the breath, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest. That's the calming part of our nervous system that a lot of us have a hard time accessing um, in all the stress and busyness. And then you can do the opposite. You can actually use the breath to energize, which activates the sympathetic nervous system, which a lot of times gets a bad rap as like, you don't ever want to be in sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, but that's not true. That is the sympathetic nervous system is very important for the waking state. This is how we get into the zone, you know, flow state or focus. This is how we're doing this podcast right now. We need to be in the sympathetic nervous system activation mode, um, which releases stress hormone cortisol, namely, um, which is very important for us to be awake. Hence the bulletproof coffee in before. Yes. <laughs> Or even during, even better. Yeah, yes, I love during. it. I love it. Um, before diving a little bit deeper into these topics, you mentioned it in brief in between, there's the brain and the mind, like, love like your distinction on these two concepts. Yes. So I like to call the brain and the mind inter interaction the human operating system. So this is basically our inner computer that is responsible for how we perceive things. It's responsible for um, our physiological responses. It's responsible for all human behavior. Um, and this, is, this construct is really the most important aspect of our human experience. So in the human operating system, you have the physical construct, which is kind of like the hardware of a computer, the physical aspect, and that is the brain. The brain is chemical and electrical in nature. These are physical things, right? And then on the other side of it, you have something that's invisible, but very, very important. And actually the physical hardware doesn't really work without the programs, which is the software, right? So it's like all the programs you have on your computer that are like Zoom and everything we're using right now, um, that they're invisible, but they're very, very important because your computer is useless without any programs. So that's the mind. 
So the mind is the software, the brain is the hardware, the two interact together to create the human experience. Now, I do have to mention that there is one other aspect that's very important, but a lot less understood because we don't have a good way of measuring this yet. So it's it comes up in the research, but it's kind of um, ignored because we don't have a great way of measuring it in the way that we um, conduct scientific research at this moment. But that third aspect is the soul or the spirit or whatever you may want to call it, God, whatever it is for you. And this does play a role in the human operating system, but it's kind of like this third outlier that we don't really understand fully how it interacts with the other two. Um, but the best way to describe it is um, if you're familiar with Eckhart Tolle and his work, he wrote the book, The Power of Now. And in that book, he's in the beginning, he's describing his um, his spiritual awakening, awakening, which was him finally realizing that there is this third aspect. And so um, what he said, he was laying in bed and he was contemplating suicide. He couldn't live with his life anymore. And he said, I cannot live with myself. And then he thought, wait a minute, who's I and who's myself? And then he realized that there's an observer and there's somebody actually experiencing, you know, in his body, um, in his life. And then there's an observer voice somewhere because there's two different, there's an I and myself. And so that's kind of pointing to that third entity, third aspect of the human operating system. Though in the science, we have a hard time identifying what it is and how it works and how much of it is there. Um, so, for our conversation, we'll focus on the two that we can measure, which is the physical brain, the hardware, and the mind, which is the software. Yeah, I love it. As you mentioned the breath as a tool to control our mental state, upregulate, downregulate, to bring us in the state where we want to be. Uh, what is possible there with the breath? Yeah. So um, in the morning, for instance, I'll give you an example of kind of my morning routine and my evening routine. So in the morning, I'm upregulating that sympathetic nervous system. I'm wanting more of those stress hormones, even though we think stress hormones are bad, but they're very important again for the waking state. Um, so in the morning, <clears throat> what I do is a breath work that's called intermittent hypoxic breath work. And it's more of like essentially you hyperventilate in a way. So you kind of over oxygenate the body and the blood, and then you get to a point where you hold after a certain number of breaths. Usually it's around 30. Um, this is the same one that Wim Hof uses. I follow one that's called Soma, um, from Niraj Nayak. He's, um, he's a pharmacist, but created a breathwork network. Um, so I use the Soma one. And after you go through 30 rounds of this over oxygenation breath, then you do a hold of the breath out until you can't hold anymore. And so it's building up that CO2, right? And then you have to take a breath in. And once you take a breath in, you hold, and that is kind of re-oxygenating. And it really helps with circulation, but it also is a really energetic breath. And it kind of activates that sympathetic nervous system and gets you 
energized for the day. Um, in the evening, I do a very different kind of breath work, which can be two different things. So one is a box breath where you can um, breathe in for a certain number of seconds. So let's say you breathe in for, you know, six or seven seconds, and then you just hold for a second and then you breathe out for the same amount of time, hold, and you keep going through that. And you can hold for a few seconds on each end of it. So that is more of a, a, a parasympathetic activation, but a really strong parasympathetic activation um, method is to extend the exhale. So let's say you breathe in for four seconds and then on the exhale, you double it and you make the exhale last eight seconds. That's a very powerful way to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's actually a vagal toning breath. So it's, it's toning the vagal nerve, um, which is responsible for that parasympathetic um, activation. And it brings that, that message down from your brain into your body. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, the breath, I love the breath because it's the bridge between mind and body. And since you already distinguished between um, brain and mind, I would love to like, how does the body and the brain intersect with the mind? Like how can we incorporate the body into these two elements? Where does it stand there? Well, the brain is the body, right? Um, so the, the body is not, um, it is interconnected with both and kind of the physiological response of the interaction of the human operating system. So the brain and the mind is that's the body, right? That's the way your body is responding. And those messages are being brought from the brain um, through your nervous system into your body. So it really has everything to do with your nervous system to really take care of your body. And that is obviously branches from your brain throughout your entire body. Um, so I just want to make that uh, connection there. Um, but the way in which we can actually work to upgrade these systems, which might be interesting, I think, to your listeners, um, as they're probably biohackers or health explorers of some kind, um, is which actually upgrades the body as well, right? Because it's kind of uh, regulating that nervous system. So there's the brain, which you can do specific things to upgrade the brain in a way, biohack the brain. So there's, there's a couple aspects to work on there. So one is the, um, is neuroplasticity which is the way that we can shape the brain. So this is our neural pathways, right? This is our, this links a lot with our behaviors and our thought processes. So this, this is very interconnected with the mind as well. So with neuroplasticity, you can actually trigger and cause or boost neuroplasticity, which means your brain is more shapeable, meaning you can um, kind of, regulate these neural pathways, create new ones or trim old ones, neural pruning, right? Um, 
And so the way to actually boost neuroplasticity is by doing new things. So new experiences or doing things that are outside of your normal routines. So for instance, something as easy as brushing your teeth with the opposite hand in the morning can boost neuroplasticity because your brain has to think about it differently and it can't just go on autopilot down the same neural pathways that it already has. Um, so once you can boost neuroplasticity, which by the way, even the experience of COVID has done for us because it's made us change all of our routines and the way that we move through the world. Um, so then you can actually harness neuroplasticity to create behavior changes that you want. So it's a great way to start doing, or it's a great time to start doing a new habit um, for instance, if you want to start doing yoga in the morning, when you're in a state of increased neuroplasticity, this is a good time to, um, to access that state and actually set sustainable new behaviors. So the other side of it is neurogenesis which is fascinating to me as a neuroscientist because even just 10 years ago, we did the scientific community that's who i mean but when i say we um didn't even know that neurogenesis meaning growing new brain cells was possible in adults and now we know that it is absolutely possible and that we can do things in our life in our behaviors to actually boost neurogenesis to so that we can grow trigger this process of growing new brain cells. So one way to do this is through things that increase brain derived neurotrophic factor or neuronal growth factor. So things like exer aerobic exercise can boost these chemicals that actually trigger new brain cells to grow. Um, another way is to make sure that you have the building blocks for new brain cells. So for instance, making sure that you have enough of the omega fatty acids, which are really important for cell membranes, and they're important for the myelination of axons of the brain cells, of the neurons. Um, so that the brain cells can communicate with each other faster, better, more efficiently. And the other thing is, so if you, one, getting the fats, but also you want to be able to um, synthesize phospholipids, right? That are the actual bioavailable useful part of fats. So things like choline um, can be really, really important and useful to help boost the biosynthesis of phospholipids so that you can strengthen your cell membranes and the myelination of the axons. So that, that's on the, the hardware side. That's kind of like the hardware upgrades of the human operating system. Mm. Yeah, love it. Linesman, what's your opinion on Linesman experience? Anything? Love it. Yeah. I use it all the time. Um, it's got a great efficacy in the clinical research for upregulating your immune system, which is very mm. useful and powerful. It's great for brain health. It's basically like a master um, adaptogen, so it kind of like does whatever your body needs. So for instance, my dad um, was diagnosed this past year with stage four uh, cancer. Um, and one of the things that we're using with him 
are lion's mane and chaga mushrooms. Um, and he's taking a therapeutic dose. So like a ridiculously high amount of these every day um, and turkey tail as well. And these are helping to upregulate his immune system to help him fight off the cancer. And it's been really helpful for him. Yeah, amazing. Plant medicines, I think that's really a topic where there's so much potential coming from the way our medical system is structured at the way that the money goes where the patent is for like singular molecular structure like, oh, we have this molecule that will do this thing in your body, in your brain, which is so complex that we don't really know what it does, but it does this one thing that we want. So I would love your opinion on what you are, I think, mind-body medicine, holistic. So like anything in terms of other supplements, nootropics. So nootropics, I'm a big fan um, with the caveat that for women specifically, there is times during our our female hormone cycle where it's not a good time to take nootropics because we should have lower energy. That's a whole other conversation for another day. But when there is good times for me to kind of push and um, push the limits and be more energetic naturally, I like to boost that using nootropics. So some of my favorite um, nootropic ingredients are one I mentioned to you, which is choline, um, which is great for brain health and function. And um, where I like to get that naturally is in egg yolks. It's very abundant in egg yolks. Um, so another way to get that, get choline boosted is with a, a nootropic ingredient called alpha GPC. That's one of my favorites and it's involved in the choline and the biosynthesis of phospholipids process. Um, and on the other side of that, I like the, uh, I like an ingredient which is newer called Nupept, which is, um, for me, one of the better ones in terms of energy and boosting focus. Um, and then the racetam. So there's, um, there's a few different types of racetams that are all, um, well-researched and they're pretty much included in every nootropic out there, um, or an option at least. And those can really be beneficial to boost your cognition. Um, and I could go down the supplement rabbit hole all day, but, uh, you know, my favorite things and the most profound things aren't really, um, pills or even tech. They're more like natural practices. Like we mentioned with the breath, um, these have been the most profound for me, um, because regulation of the nervous system and regulation of stress is, is the biggest aspect of high performance. Yeah, love that. Especially when talking about supplements, it's so important to always keep mentioning like the basics. You mentioned omega-3, for example. So easy to know like, yeah, omega-3 are important and we have a lot of research and then you kind of forgot about it and go for the shiny things. In case yeah. of the rest attempts, I'm still like in Europe, it's kind of hard to get. So I'm, oh. I haven't tried them, but yeah, definitely we'll need to look at that maybe in the near future. But um, yeah. You know, one um, company that I really like is called um, Find My Formula because they have four different nootropic stacks mm -hmm. and each of them have a few of these different ingredients. Some of them have the racetams. Um, one of them has alpha GPC. One of them has Nupept. Um, but they're kind of have different purposes. So I love that company because you can kind of mix and match mm -hmm. and use what feels good for you on different days or whatever your purpose. So like if you want to boost creativity, one may work better than others for you. If you want to microdosing all the way. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. I've gotten, especially like we mentioned in the beginning, more and more interested, like so many adaptogens, ashwagandha, like it's a rabbit hole we, we can definitely go deep in. But you, you mentioned another important thing, like if we talk about these things, that's like the tip of the iceberg, or at least it should be the tip of the iceberg, the defense devices. And the, the deeper I've dived into like the world of biohacking, the more I realized how much it only is like back to the basics, aligning your circadian rhythm, getting the sun, the exercise, the movement, we touched on the embodied cognition before, like that's one of the, the biggest improvements I've seen in my life, like really getting more in my body, doing movement connection, that's really... I've been like online entrepreneurship world, really um, isolated alone. And after like I've incorporated digital nomads, getting like-minded people, like I see like that's really no single pill or whatever can can touch that. So yeah, any thoughts on the, the holistic realm? Where do we start? What do we do? Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that one thing that you really touched on, which is huge and especially important right now, it's really brought to the forefront is human connection. Even though, you know, we're connecting here on Zoom, it's not quite the same as having a physical connection. Um, so actually, you know, there was a Harvard study done a few years ago, and this has been repeated over and over since then, um, that the number one correlate to a high quality of life is the quality of your relationships. So if you have high quality relationships or you, you rate your relationships at a high level, your quality of life is also rated at a higher level. And so that has everything to do with health and mental health and your physical body and all of it. Um, so I think human connection is a big one that a lot of us are missing right now. And I think that we don't prioritize enough. You know, I used to work for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and global public health for several years. Never once in our standardized protocols for medicine or even, you know, cardiovascular disease or even the, in the emergency responses that I worked on, we never talked about or included human connection in these, which is a failure in my mind because it has such an impact. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard, it's a hard thing to regulate. And how, how do you write a prescription for friendship, right? That would be a little bit difficult, although it would benefit everyone. Yeah, that's, we touched on in the beginning, there's a little bit of the, the issue, the siloed scientific left brain isolated thinking of having like, oh, there's the issue, that's the root cause, and then let's let's put a bandaid on. Um, and yeah, but you mentioned it from, from our, the way our current system is structured, we can't simply write a prescription, it's just like, needs a fundamental help, for example, coaching, much more in-depth help or whatever kind of um, thing. And do you coaching, do you also touch on that realm or what's like, your, your background there because I love um, the theme of the yeah. holistic thinking always because it's like so profound once you see like the connectedness between things and you really can't go back to that silo thinking anymore or shouldn't at least I agree with you 100% so on the coaching side of things um, the the only aspect that I do like personal one-on-one -on -one coaching is for health optimization medicine but it's funny that you mentioned this holistic aspect because yes, 
people come to me because they actually want to dive into their biochemistry and their neurochemistry and their gut function. And they want to see how things are working and they want to check for toxins and detox pathways and all that stuff. And so that's what I do. You know, I do comprehensive lab work with them and then look at everything that's going on in their body. And we, we find any areas that need, or that are imbalanced and we correct them using, you know, food and supplements and lifestyle to correct some of these things. But without fail, every single one of these clients, it always comes down to more of this nervous system regulation, this mental health aspect, this mind aspect. So even though we do all of the things to correct these imbalances, once they're starting to feel better physically, there's always, we always end up starting to work on this um, mindset aspect. And excuse me. So with the mindset aspect, um, you know, this really does interact with everything in the body. And so I know we talked about the kind of upgrades or hacks for the physical, the hardware. We didn't really touch on the upgrades or the hacks, if you want to call them, uh, for the software, the mind. So um, if you want to, we can dive into to that side of things. Yeah, maybe, or maybe even as, as a transition point, because you mentioned it, the gut. The gut, yeah. I mean, neurotransmitters are created there. Let's start there and then dive into the mind from there on. Yeah, so the gut has an impact on everything. Um, if your gut is not functioning properly, or if you have leaky gut, which is majority of at least Americans have leaky gut, every single client that I've done their gut analysis um, has had leaky gut to some extent, some very severely, some not as not as severe. What um, does the uh, analysis look like in that regard? What kind of test is that? Uh, so I go through a lab company, which is the, the largest um, database here in the United States. It's called Genova Labs. And the, the test that I do is called GI effects. So we look at what is going on in the gut um, as far as what kind of bacteria, beneficial or harmful bacteria is there. We look at the gut lining to see how intact that is. And a lot of times you see um, where there is what's called leaky gut, meaning that um, the lining of the intestines has been damaged and the what's happening is when the food digests and it goes starts through the intestines it will actually leak through the gut and a lot of times when you see leaky gut they say that if you have leaky gut you also have leaky brain it's not necessarily like that your brain isn't leaking but um, you will experience a lot of things like brain fog or issues with cognition or issues with sleep um, so the gut has a lot to do with the brain function and the brain function also has a lot to do with the gut and it really has to do with this vagus nerve which is kind of the highway for information it's the way that the gut and the brain communicate with each other um so when the gut is in a state of dysfunction using the vagus nerve as its communication form to the brain the brain goes into defense mode and then there is a an, an immune response that happens to kind of fight off what's going on with the gut but it it has the opposite effect because it can actually cause a little bit of autoimmune disorder meaning that your body is attacking itself not a place not a good place to be in 
Um, and yeah, maybe before going into mindset, even like dive a little bit deeper when we have these issues, like where do we start? How much individuality, like in terms of food sensitivities or what do you see and mm -hmm. what's like your, your process looks like over there? Yes. So every time I do an analysis, um, food sensitivities is one of the laboratory tests that I get every time, because when you see, again, leaky gut or dysfunction in the gut, meaning you may have some too much um, bad bacteria and not enough abundance of beneficial bacteria in the gut. So basically your gut ecosystem is all out of whack. And this in this actually interacts with the enzymes that are needed to break down food so that you can actually metabolize the food and get the nutrients out to your body where it needs to go. So when all of this is out of whack and you have a little bit of leaky gut going on, then um, again, your brain activates that immune response and once that happens, you see a lot of inflammation happening, right? So it's looking at the fecal IgG, which is the um, immune response that you can see. It's the amount of inflammation that's happening when you look at the stool sample itself. And you can tell that there's some inflammation going on in the gut and, and through that whole pathway. So First thing to do is definitely you got to look for the causes of inflammation. So a lot of times something that's adding to the inflammation are food sensitivities. So pretty much in everyone, there's some level of sensitivity, or at least for Americans, because of our processed food diet and because of the industrial farming, um, our food quality over here is very poor and the quality of our soil is terrible. Um, so we see a lot more of this with the American traditional American diet, but pretty much everyone will have some level of sensitivity, not meaning allergy, but sensitivity, meaning your body is not tolerating this and it's causing an immune response acutely for dairy, for grains, for um, especially things like corn, where it's the, the industrial farming has really wrecked havoc on these types of foods um, because the soil is contaminated with toxins like glyphosate. Um, so these different types of foods um, are typically very inflammatory for almost everyone. So it's a, it, looking at that. And then for certain people, there will be other things. Some people have an inflammatory response to eggs, for instance. Some people have an inflammatory response to different types of nuts. Some people have an inflammatory response to nightshades, which are like tomatoes um, and different kinds of acidic fruits or vegetables and fruits. Um, and so it's kind of different for everyone. But taking a look at what is inflammatory to your body right now and eliminating those foods. So immediately you're taking down the level of inflammation. And then the next step is to repair that gut lining and repair the, um, the, the gut ecosystem, meaning you have to bring up the level of beneficial bacteria and bring down the level of non-beneficial bacteria and so there's, there's a, all kinds of protocols and processes to do that. And so in tandem, you want to fix the abundance of good bacteria in your gut, create that ecosystem. Um, you also want to boost the level of enzymes so that you can break down food so that it's not tearing the lining of your intestines as much. And then in tandem, you want to repair the lining of your gut 
in general, so that, um, you know, where there are those holes, they're being patched and repaired. And that process can't happen unless you bring the inflammation level down. So that's where you have to bring out the food sensitivities. Nice. Yeah. And so it's basically starts at the lab test. And then do you also have some form of Excel spreadsheet or whatever to make it very concrete? So people become aware and continuously like look out for these food insensitivities. So like any process behind that? Yeah. So um, I am not a fan of anybody. And unfortunately in the coaching world, I think there's a lot of this going on where it's like a standard protocol for everyone. That is not helpful because we are all bio-individual beings. And so we have to take bio-individuality into account. That's where doing these lab tests to see specifically what's going on with you, for instance, is going to be completely different than what's going on for me, though we probably have some of the same things to work on. Um, it'll be a little bit different. So each person based on their specific results, I will write up a very detailed specific protocol on how they, for their bio-individual needs, um, can repair some of this dysfunction or imbalance going on um, with the gut, but also with, for instance, the Krebs cycle, which is responsible for creating ATP, which is your energy system of essentially, it's your metabolism. Um, so looking at all of these components and then making adjustments in, in diet, in what they're eating and removing those inflammatory things, um, adjusting their supplements so that they can repair some of this stuff going on or bring levels back up to normal if they are too low or being um, uh, utilized too quickly, their resources are running out. Um, and then looking at lifestyle. So a lot of the lifestyle stuff or pretty much you know all of it has to do with stress management. And so bringing up that stress threshold so that when you have these stressors, which we all have, you can't eliminate all the stressors from your life. It's not, it's not possible, um, but it is possible to bring up your stress threshold. So that's more on the lifestyle medicine side of things. But again, every person has very different needs. And so it really needs to be tailored to the person. And that's why, you know, and maybe this is my bias as a data scientist, um, I need the data on each person to understand exactly what they need and to help guide them in their own healing process. Um, so anyone who's not pulling the data at the biochemical level, um, it'll be really hard to, to kind of help somebody to that level. Yeah, absolutely. I think food sensitivities, food sensitivities also has been one of the, the things where I messed up the most, like looking bad when I was like 16, 17 or whatever, starting with this standardized meal plan, which included tons of oats and I just couldn't digest them very well. And it took me like weeks and months and months and maybe even years because I was in this mindset, oats are like a healthy thing and eventually work out. I continuously had like issues with bloating and stomach pain and whatever, but I still had this belief system. Oh, oats are healthy. So I will eat oats, eat this kind of meal. So individuality, definitely a big point. And that really brings us into the mindset world. How can we upgrade our, yeah, our system in that realm? You mentioned it before. Yeah. And I, I do think it's all connected, like you mentioned before, the mind-body connection. So even though the brain is part of the body, right, the physical body, 
there is the rest of the body. So what we're talking about with your biochemistry, with your gut, with um, toxins, with all that stuff, it is important to have a baseline level of functionality and health within your body um, before you can start to really dive into the mindset stuff. And it's kind of like a vicious cycle. Um, so if your body is dysfunctional, your, your mind and your thoughts are probably dysfunctional, which actually cause more damage to your body, which causes more damage to your mind. And so it's like a cycle, um, but you can get into a cycle of positivity the other way. So once your body is starting to function a little bit better, you'll have more capacity to work on this mindset stuff. And so with the mind, it's a little more tricky because again, it's that invisible software. So it's not something that you can go in and tinker with biochemically or be able to really measure very easily with data. Um, so with the mind, um, a lot of people are experiencing um, thought processes and belief systems and things that are not really serving them anymore. And so this is because we only behave from the conscious mind. This is the one that you and I are using right now to have this conversation where we are ma actively making decisions and we are controlling exactly what we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're doing. Now, this is only active and responsible for 5% of our behaviors. The other 95% of everything we do and behave and during the other you know, the rest of the 24 hours of the day is controlled by the subconscious mind. So the subconscious mind is um, the one kind of running in the background. It's kind of like your default mode. It is all of your belief systems. It is the societal constructs that you follow, that you've been taught since childhood. It is um, a lot of times there's traumas and things there from childhood or upbringing that, um, that are intertwined with your nervous system and responsible for when that nervous system um, kicks into fight or flight, um, which we talked about before. So the subconscious mind is really where there's a lot of work to do. And unfortunately, we can't stay in the active conscious mind for really much more than that 5%. We can increase that a little bit, but can't really be fully in the subcon or in the conscious mind. It's not possible because that's a limited resource. And that is, that is basically your willpower. Willpower is a limited resource and it runs out pretty quickly. So the rest of the time is that subconscious mind. So if we want to make significant changes, we have to work on that subconscious programming, which is largely programmed into our human operating system when we are children. So it's the experiences we had growing up and the thoughts and beliefs that were instilled in us during that period that for the rest of our lives, unless we change it, that's how we behave. Some of these are beneficial things and some of these are not beneficial for us anymore and are not no longer serving us. So it can be a little tricky to change these, but one way, again, it's kind of the same as neuroplasticity or the concept of neuroplasticity, it's through repetition. So when you do something over and over, or for instance, if you change your state using breath or whatever, or gratitude or something like that, you can change your state out of a negative mindset into a more beneficial 
mindset. And if you can train your brain to continue to flip that switch, every time there's a trigger for that negative mindset and you're able to flip it over, use to something more beneficial, a more beneficial thought process, then you can start to change those underlying programs, that default mode that you behave from. You can start to behave from a more supportive default mode that will help you in your adult life moving forward. So repetition is one way. Another thing which is relevant with the COVID experience as well is things that are shocking or very, very exciting or things that are new, novel, right? Um, these types of experiences boost what's called subconscious suggestibility. So it kind of brings that subconscious from the background forward and it's a, you're able to kind of manipulate that subconscious programming more easily than you could just through repetition alone. So right now with the COVID experience being pushed out of our normal routines, having to really um, analyze these constructs societally that we have been uh, taught our whole lives, but now we're starting to question those. This is bringing the subconscious mind forward where there's more ability to change those programs and kind of take out some of the old programs that we no longer want to run off of and installing new, more beneficial programs, new habits or beliefs and ideas that we want to use moving forward. Yeah, interesting. That totally makes sense. Like if you think about it, the, the role of the subconscious, if you are in a new environment, the subconscious kind of needs to come a little bit out of its shell to absorb more input so that it can then like tailor the strategy to what are the actions and the, the, the yeah, actions that need to be taken in that new environment. So leveraging that um, really interesting thing, especially like me as a digital nomad is like a perfect opportunity. For example, speaking of morning routines, um, I, as well as I think every other pre, um, person sometimes struggled with it. And now it's like a perfect new, it was a new chance. And then instead of taking a cold shower, I incorporated the, the pool here that is not uh, heated up. So it, now I have an exciting new morning routine, which gives me the, the dopamine of excitement. I have like an orange field uh, right behind the house where I can be in the sunlight, pick oranges. And then it's like a new morning routine, which has been never easier for me to stick to a morning routine because I actually just enjoy it that much. So working with that, uh, definitely an interesting thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right now is a really good time because even though we've been in the COVID experience for, you know, a year now, um, we are still in this state of increased subconscious suggestibility and increased neuroplasticity. So it's not too late to start to design new behaviors that you want to instill in your life moving forward. So right now is a great time to revamp your morning routine or your evening routine that sets you up for bed or start to groom your nervous system uh, so that you can self-regulate better, more efficiently. So it's a great time to start working on any of those new habits or processes that you want to start utilizing. Mm. Yeah, love it. Kind of reframing in the thing, there's the pandemic going on, everything changes, but then just reframing it and looking at the positive changes, taking it as a time to adapt, to grow, all about yeah. speaking about mindset, like gratitude, speaking of positivity, what's your take on gratitude? Gratitude is amazing. It is a very 
um, powerful tool for state change, right? So it is tied into the nervous system. It's tied into those neurochemicals that you mentioned. Um, dopamine is one, but there is also serotonin, which is more important for mood stabilization. And then there are endorphins, which are kind of those feel good chemicals that are more excitatory. And then you have oxytocin, which is the other, like the fourth big um, neurochemical, which is a, has to do with connection, human connection and love. Um, so doing things that kind of boost up these neurochemicals and help to balance out that, that, um, that system is really beneficial for your, to change your state and increase a more positive mindset. So gratitude um, will actually release some of these positive neurochemicals or feel good neurochemicals in your brain. So for instance, if you are angry at somebody or have a really negative experience and you're ruminating, right, you're thinking about it over and over and it's really causing a lot of stress on your body and it's making you feel bad and it's putting you into a poor mood, you can flip the switch by using gratitude even if you can't think of gratitude for that situation, if you can think of something you are grateful for, just flipping that physiological switch into a more positive way of thinking, a more positive mindset will release some of these feel good neurochemicals in your brain. And over time, if you continue to flip that switch, then your brain will go okay, this is my new default mode. Every time I get triggered, I'm automatically going to flip on those positive neurochemicals and that physiological cascade that's going to benefit me and activate more of that parasympathetic rest nervous system. So eventually these negative triggers can turn into positive triggers for you. Yeah, the, the power of feedback cycles, just amazing. Once you start working with your biology and not against it is something I love to say, because as we touched on before, getting back to the roots, incorporating things like gratitude, learning about dopamine and your, um, other neurotransmitters to building habits in a way, for example, that's why the cold shower works so great for me. You hop in or also cold plunge and you get that instant boom, that kick of dopamine. And That's why something people fail to change the behavior so often because they're fighting against it. They're set, setting like morning routines they hate. So every time, every morning, they have to rely on their willpower to get up and act. You mentioned it, that's a limited resource. So it's just not a good strategy to rely on your willpower your whole day to power through. It's really about working with your environment and with your whole body to achieve the things that you want to do. Exactly. And what I like to say is you want to lean into the benefits of your biology instead of fight against the ones that you don't necessarily want. So you're exactly right in the morning when naturally you're already supposed to go into more of the sympathetic nervous system or activate some of those stress hormones, right? Cortisol, namely, you want to actually lean into that and allow your body to activate that system instead of away from it. And then the same example can be said at nighttime when the opposite hormone is at work, melatonin, which actually act, helps to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, get us ready for sleep so that our brain can um, repair while we're sleeping and our body can repair while we're sleeping. And so leaning into that process instead of away from it, you don't want to do something very 
energetic right before bed because that will um, decrease the release of melatonin. So before bed, you want to do things that will lean into your natural biological rhythm and, and increase and support that melatonin release. So doing things like the parasympathetic breath work are good at night or, you know, blocking blue light, which can enhance cortisol is really important to do at night as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we touched on a lot of topics. I loved it. Maybe slowly to, to come to the wrap up in terms of prioritization. If there only would be two things in the whole realm of mind bodison that you could tell people and learning from your lessons, like what would these two things be? Um, number one is has to do with our stress, right? So taking a look, taking stock of your stress levels and being honest with yourself. Take a look at all, all things that are contributing to your stress threshold or what I like to call a stress bucket, all the things that are going into your stress bucket. Now, this can be positive types of stress, you stress, right? Um, or hormetic stressors, they call them. So like exercise, even cold therapy is a, is a type of hormetic stress, which is still a stressor on the body. Um, doing things like fasting, which all are beneficial, right? To some extent, but they still add a level of stress. Now, if you're already a very stressed individual, emotionally with work or career, with family, whatever else you may have going on with environmental toxins, things like these are all different types of stressors. So if your bucket is already full with those types of stressors, and then you try to add in some of these positive stressors, your bucket will still overflow and you'll start to see these symptoms of dysfunction. So really taking an honest stock of the stress in your life and then taking just taking a second to look if you're experiencing any of the symptoms that are showing you that are your body is telling you that you have surpassed your stress threshold so things like brain fog energy um dips in energy um things like gut like a lot of bloating going on with your gut or if you have some gi dysfunction um and then Uh, mood is another one. If you're feeling really on edge or if you're really um, kind of um, you're just easy to trigger, then these are all signs that you've surpassed your stress threshold. So really just taking an honest talk of, of your stress levels and everything that goes into your stress bucket and understanding what your status is. On the other side of that is kind of the same thing with the mindset is self-awareness. So in a way, taking stock of all your stresses is, is becoming aware, right? So the first step to addressing anything or making any behavior changes, first you have to become aware. So becoming aware of your stress situation will then allow you to understand where to start, to start to make changes. With the mindset, the, the other self-awareness is also relevant because you can now start to become aware when it would be beneficial for you to make these state changes. So become aware of the things that are triggering to you or triggering a negative thought loop. Become aware of when you are being hypervigilant and your nervous system is overactive. Become aware of when you're getting into these, these negative, um, 
thought processes and negative mindsets that are really taking over. So the best way to increase self-awareness of the mind is to, you know, stop all of the distraction and sit alone with no distraction with your mind. So meditation, breath can be a very significant tool for this, but just eliminating all the distractions of life and sitting quietly with yourself, with your mind, and just taking stock of what's going on there. And that can give you an idea of your mental state. And then again, self-awareness is the first step to making changes. And the changes, you know, we covered a lot of them in this episode previously, but all of it begins with self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Couldn't have, yeah. Because it's really the story of my life with my ADHD dyslexic brain, like self-regulation and self-awareness, like this combination. I also like to call it like state control, being aware of where you're at and then having the tools to shifting that mental state, building the other factors around it, really game changer. Loved it, Kyla. Great stuff. And yeah, where can people learn more about you, get in touch with you, find information of any kind? Yeah, so a couple of great places to connect with me and have conversations um, more like one-on-one -on -one is um, one through a new platform called Clubhouse, mm. which I am loving right now. You can search my name, Kayla Osterhoff, or if you search my handle on there, it's biohacking women. Um, I love to talk about women's biohacking and women's health science specifically. Um, and then on Instagram, my handle is at biocurious underscore Kayla. My website is also biocuriouskayla.com. And for the women who are listening, I just launched a one year program with two amazing women in women's health leadership, Dr. Nasha Winters and Dasha Maximoff. And we have created a um, health program for women that is really unlike any other healthcare solution for women out there. It's again, taking this bio-individual approach that we talked about today, but specifically for women and highlighting where women have been disempowered by the medical and research communities being left out of the research and helping women to bridge that gap so that they can use self-experimentation and really take control of their own health, again, using their data as a driver for their health decisions. So if that sounds interesting for the ladies listening, go ahead and check out powerprogram.org and that's power with an H. So P-O-W-H-E-R. So powerprogram.org. All the info about that is open or is there and um, enrollment is currently open right now through March. So check that out. And we would love for you to join us this next year. Again, really enjoyed the show and thanks for being guest here. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today on the entrepreneurial brain podcast. If you like the show, please take a minute to review our show on iTunes or any other podcast platform. This will help me a ton to reach a bigger audience with the podcast, but also the most important thing to really get world-class leaders, world-class performers, experts, scientists, and ultimately just create amazing episodes with a lot of value for you. Thanks in advance for your support. My name is Maurice, and I will see you on the next show of the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast.